Thank you, Jonathan. Friends, good afternoon. Those of us who were here this morning, can you, can we remember Lawson's, almost his very opening comment, the first thing he said to us about uh, the car which was causing an obstruction? Yes. Uh, reminded me of something which I think happened at Keswick some years ago. But uh, a note was passed to a man chairing one of the meetings and uh, he read it out and he said, will the owner of the new Rolls-Royce Silver Ghost please sell it and give the money to missionary work? (laughs) (laughs) Well, now, um, I have grudgingly conceded that the years might be taking their toll on me. Um... And I have reached an age where my eyes are fine, but my arms are no longer quite long enough. And so I have bought myself a large print Bible. I suspect this is like the Great Wall of China in that it can be seen from outer space. It is a very substantial piece of literature altogether. And it's in the new NIV, which I'm not entirely a fan of, if I'm honest but I'm using it today for comfort's sake. And will you turn with me, please, if you have your Bibles, to John's Gospel and chapter 20. One of the downsides of this particular version of the Bible is it does take up an incredible amount of space on the lectern. Well, we're going to read together a few words from John chapter 20 and uh, beginning at verse 19. uh, The event recorded here is one of those resurrection appearances made on the very first resurrection day. I think it may well be the fourth or fifth occasion on which the Lord revealed himself on that resurrection Sunday. On the evening of that first day of the week, When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Well, I have some degree of self-awareness, that is, I, I know myself somewhat, and I have come to this conclusion, which you may feel perfectly free to take issue with. I have decided that I am neither significantly more nor significantly less intelligent than the general run of people. You you are, of course, at liberty to, to disagree with me, but that's how I tend to view myself. The Bible says we should have a sober estimate of the abilities and indeed of all that God has given us. And I am, I suspect, like many of you, I am capable of having moments, albeit rare moments, of insight and 
maybe even occasionally flashes of brilliance. But that is offset by the fact that I have not so rare moments of really quite incredible stupidity. Uh, one of those came many years ago, and I still almost blush to recall it. Uh, I was in my first job on leaving school. I worked out of an office in Threadneedle Street, right next to the Bank of England, and I was working for what was then known as the GPO, the General Post Office, the forerunner of the Royal Mail. And uh, my job was to deliver telegrams around the city and the West End of London. And uh, I was uh, very young and very new in the post, and my boss decided to have some fun at my expense, and so he sent me to go up to the roof to collect the airmail. <laughs> and I was several flights of stairs on my way before the penny dropped and the absurdity of what I was being asked to do somehow struck me. Well, I, I have been sent on a great many errands since then. My wife, Rita, who's here today, uh, will sometimes send me to Sainsbury's um, to procure two or three necessary items. Well, when I say she sends me, I mean, she's not the boss of me, you know. <laughs> I know who wears the trousers in my house, and they fit her very well. Um, Rita will send me to the shop to buy something, and sometimes I even come back with a close approximation of what I was sent for. Um, on those occasions, I am, in a sense, her apostle. Is that right? Small a, of course. Because the word apostle really means sent one. Someone who is sent. Um, the Lord Jesus is spoken of in the book of Hebrews as the apostle and high priest of our calling. And his sense of being sent by God, of being a man on a mission, was very strong, wasn't it? And from that sense of being sent, he derived his authority. And when people said, where do you get off saying the things you say? He'd say, I say the things my father has given me to say. He has sent me to tell you this. And when they say, and where do you get this power to do miracles? He said, God has given me this power. I'm a man on a mission. I am a sent person. And the Lord was sent to begin something, wasn't he? To initiate something. This new covenant whereby not merely the Jews, but all people everywhere can be brought into a new relationship with God. And what he was sent to do, he did. <laughs> That is why on the cross he cried, it is finished. Now you know, I suspect as well as I do, that in the English that is three words, it is finished. And notice, by the way, he didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. But you will probably have been told before and know for yourselves that in Greek it's just one word, tetelestai. It means finished. It means finished. And it's a word which is not particular just to the... The New Testament, the word finished is used in a number of ways in secular literature. It was a word used by a priest once a lamb intended for sacrifice had been inspected and found to be without blemish. Finished. It was a word that would be stamped or written on an invoice to signal that a debt 
had been paid in full, finished. Some, uh, some years ago, my wife, um, Rita, got a wonderful memory for names. My, 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 wife, uh, my wife told me, this was a good few years ago, uh, she said, um, darling, what we need is a bamboo headboard for our bed. Now, I confess, and until Rita pointed out out to me, it had not occurred to me that we needed that. But once it was pointed out, it was, of course, blindingly obvious. So we took ourselves off to Leamington Spa, that being the nearest town of any consequence to where we live. And uh, we went into a shop which rejoiced in the name of Desdemona Postlethwaite. That was the name of a store. And it had a most esoteric collection of items inside, strangest emporium I have ever been in. And amongst the many things it sold, it sold bamboo headboards. So we went into the store and we bought this four foot six bamboo headboard. I mean, it was all the rage for, you know, in the first world for people to have them. Of course, <laughs> in the third world, lots of people have bamboo headboards. But we, and we, we purchased this and it was the last one in the store. And, uh, we were going to go around shopping the remainder of the day in, in, in Leamington Spa. I, I say that without enthusiasm because I believe shopping is the price that a man pays for marriage. But we, we were going to go shopping for the remainder of the day and I didn't want to carry a bamboo headboard around all day. So I said, look, can we leave this here and pick it up? And the sales said, oh yes, I'll just put, put it here behind the counter. And uh, I said, just one moment, I said, you've just told me this is the last one in the store. I don't want you going on your lunch and your colleague coming on and selling it again. Ah, oh, they said, right, well, so they put the receipt on it. They sellotaped the receipt to it with the word paid on, you see. Do you get it? Tetelestai. The deal's done. As the old hymn says, tis done. The great transaction's done. Well, that's what Christ cried from the cross. What God gave him to do, he did. Finished it. Wonderful thing. He was sent to finish something. And now we see that Jesus who was sent is now doing the sending. He has done that before, of course. He sent out his apostles. Then he sent out 72 to go to the towns which he himself intended to visit. They were his line-up people to get things ready for him and to preach and teach and heal and cast out demons. And he said to them, don't take a purse, don't take a bag, don't wear sandals, don't greet anyone on the road. I mean, it's a very fascinating set of instructions, isn't it? At the very least, he's saying this, look, God will provide. You're on my business. God's work done in God's way will never lack for God's provision. He's saying, and there's an urgency about this, don't start chatting to people all over the place and getting sidetracked and distracted, you're on a mission. So Jesus was sent on a mission, sent to do something, which he did. He, he accomplished it. I mean, this is a... Uh, I'm not going to go very far down this little tangent because I intend to speak here tomorrow morning, God willing, and bring a Palm Sunday message in which these, this thought might occur. But... You know, when the Lord met with Elijah and Moses on that mount on which he was transfigured, they had a conversation. Do you recall what they spoke about? The Bible says they talked about his death, which he would 
accomplish at Jerusalem. Isn't that an interesting slant? You see, we're, we're, when someone dies in our world, people gather and talk about what they accomplished in their life. They don't talk about what they accomplished in their death. But as somebody once said, the very hour for which Christ had come into the world was the very hour at which he left it. That's what he'd come for. That's what he, he did. And now the one who was sent is now doing the sending of his disciples on this resurrection Sunday. And the disciples are in lockdown, fearful, behind doors which are bolted and barred. And the Lord appears to these people to whom he is going to give this commission and his first word to them is to be at peace. That's quite struck recently. We had, uh, I, I go along with one or two other of my county's colleagues and other people, including Ashley Richards, who's here today from Efford. I, I've gone for the last couple of years in the autumn and winter over to Moldova, going again next, next winter, God, God willing. And uh, the, the chap who organizes the missions that I'm part of in Moldova is, is, is a, a delightful and driven evangelist by the name of Mark McCormick. And I had Mark in my home just recently there in Warwick. And as soon as he set foot across the threshold, he said out loud, so I could hear it, he said, peace be to this house. And I thought, well, that's right, isn't it? That's what the Lord Jesus say. When you enter a house, say peace be to or on this house. Well, this is the Lord's first word. Be at peace. Don't be fearful. Don't be fretful. If you are going to go out for me, you need to go out confidently. Not fearfully. And then he says to them, well now, look at me. You see that in verse 20, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. If we're going to serve the Lord, we need to be at peace about it, knowing that we have been commissioned by him. People say, by what right do you come here and say that? We have every right to say it, because the one who gave us, all, gave us authority is the one with all authority. That is our right. We've been sent by the Lord of heaven and earth. We are God's men, God's women in this world. We're all too familiar with our failings and our faults and our deficiencies, but let's not lose that perspective. You are God's man in your place of work, in your home. You are God's woman wherever you are. You're there because he sent you there. So be at peace, be confident, be joyful. The disciples were overjoyed, verse 20 when they saw the Lord. The world isn't going to be evangelized by miserable believers. As somebody said a while ago, they were traveling on a train and the passenger in the seat opposite them, they said they thought for a long time that that person was probably a Christian, but then they discovered it was just indigestion. I remember Rita and I were on holiday um, near Padstow in, in, in Cornwall many years ago when our children were, were, were young. And there was a, a family in one of these great big sort of massively extended frame tents next to us. We, we were in the comparative luxury of a caravan, but this family were in a, in a tent. And, and I mean, uh, 
they had a lot of children. I don't think I ever really managed to count their children and get the same number twice. They really had quite a, quite a clan in this tent. And there was just something about them. They just kind of had a, a kind of happiness about them and a harmony about them. And, and the reason why I speculate, we say, do you know, I've got a feeling those people are Christians. Have you ever been in that situation where you just, you, I think it's actually the spirit witnessing with our spirits a little bit. We thought they were probably Christians and we got chatting to them and found that, yes, indeed, they were Christians. And they said, uh, uh, I, I said, yes, we thought you were. They said, yes, we thought you probably were as well. I said, oh, I said, uh, they said, why did you think we were Christians? I said, well, because of your, your sort of joyfulness. Why did you think that Rita and I were Christians? He said, because we've heard you disciplining your children. <laughs> Which, if you take away the evangelical speech, translates as, oh dear, they've heard us shouting at the kids, basically. <laughs> but joyfulness, it's, it's infectious, it's contagious, there's so little joy in the world, isn't there? Happiness is so transient. I mean, people, you know, we, we listen to a stand-up comic and you can listen. I mean, dear old Ken Dodd gone to whatever awaits him now, you see. World record for telling most jokes in the shortest period of time. You could listen to one of his concerts. for They, they were famous, his shows, for overrunning by hours, four or five hours. One of his shows, after he'd been going for three hours, he took out a flask of coffee and some ham sandwiches. And he looked at the audience and said, oh, didn't you bring anything? <laughs> but you see, you can listen to that, and within half an hour you cannot remember a single thing that made you laugh. But joy, that's a different thing, isn't it? Calmness, we know the Lord is risen. Joyfulness, absolute confidence in him. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Spirit. Now, these words have been called the most difficult words in the New Testament, in the sense of understanding what was actually going on here. What did Jesus mean? What was he doing? After all, there was coming a time, not too many weeks in the future for these people, when there would be no doubt as to what happened to them, the prophecy of Joel would begin to find its fulfillment and each one would be filled with the Holy Spirit and they would run out onto the streets shouting the praises of God like drunken men and a crowd would gather and the gospel would be preached and 3,000 people would be added to them. You see, But that was all in the future. What is the Lord doing here when he says, receive the Holy Spirit? Well, various commentators, and I, I've decided it is a rule of thumb, but if you look at a commentary, what people of old have written to explain the scriptures, if you look at what the commentators have to say about John chapter 3, verse 16, they will write chapters of explanation on it. And if you look to see what they have to say on the difficult verses, they've got very little more idea than you or I have, frankly. But the commentators commenting on this business of receive the Holy Spirit, some would say, well... The Lord was just underlining his promise that the Holy Spirit would come to them soon. Well, that's not really adequate to explain what he said. The Lord was capable of saying, look, you know, cheer up. The Holy Spirit will be with you soon enough. He didn't say that. Some people have said, well, at this moment, the disciples did not receive the Holy Spirit. 
Only some aspect of his power or ministry, a kind of foretaste of what was to come? And some have said, well, no, this was the time when the Holy Spirit was given to indwell and empower the disciples. But it clearly, it clearly wasn't. The promise in Luke 24, the promise in Acts 1, clearly postdates these words of the Lord Jesus. Well, whatever these words mean and however they fit in with or refuse to fit in with our theology, one thing is clear, very much so here. Telling people about Jesus is a spiritual business. And it can only be done effectively with the assistance and the backup of the Holy Spirit. So whatever the Lord is getting at here, he is certainly underlining that, isn't he? This is a spiritual business. And you need God's help to do this. Don't do it without that. And then if we think those words are enigmatic, what about the words in verse 23? If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Well, at first sight, it would seem that the... The Lord was giving the disciples the power to forgive people's sins and the power to withhold forgiveness for sins. Well, now, it is a classic rule of hermeneutics, that is the principles of understanding and interpreting the Scripture, that we try to understand the difficult verses in the light of the easier verses. We view that which is hard to understand through the lens of that which we do clearly understand. And so we understand clearly that sin is always primarily an offence against God. We understand that only God can forgive sins. So the Lord is clearly not giving to his disciples the authority to forgive sins or the authority to refuse to forgive sins. The key, as is so often the case, I believe, is in the context. The context is that of people going out to tell people the good news of the gospel. Now, the gospel is a message which announces that sin can be forgiven through faith in Christ. The gospel says that if people repent and believe in Jesus, their sins are forgiven. And the gospel also says that if people refuse to repent and refuse to believe, their sins are not forgiven. And I understand this verse to be this, that Jesus gave the right to his disciples not to grant forgiveness of sins, but to declare forgiveness of sins to those who believe the gospel, and to declare to people who refuse to believe that their sins remain unforgivable and will be charged to their own account. One thing is clear. This business of telling people about Jesus is a hugely serious business because people's eternal destiny hinges on whether they repent and believe the gospel. So it needs to be carried to people by those of us who are confident that the Lord is risen. We're going to be saying it next Sunday, aren't we? Or a week tomorrow, aren't we? The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. We need to be joyful about that. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. That's the way we go to people, with the joy of the Lord. Now, there is an old hymn, as I draw to a close, which almost inevitably came to mind when I was reading these words and preparing these, these thoughts. It's a hymn which has been called the greatest missionary hymn of the 20th century. It was written by a Canadian school teacher by the name of Margaret Clarkson. And when she wrote it, she was a teacher in a gold mining camp in northern Ontario. She had dearly wanted to be a missionary overseas but was prevented from doing so by ill health. 
Well, I, I turned and I read the lyrics of the hymn. You know the hymn I'm referring to. So send I you. It's an old, old hymn. And I intended just to quote the lyrics, but to be honest, I got caught up in Margaret's story. Because in 1935, she wrote this. Teaching jobs were so scarce that I had to take my first job as a teacher in a lumber camp some 1,400 miles from home in northwestern Ontario. From there, I moved to the gold mining camp of Kirkland Lake, 450 miles north of Toronto. Now listen to this. In all, I spent seven years in the north. I experienced loneliness of every kind, mental, cultural, but particularly spiritual. In all of those seven years, I never found any real Christian fellowship. The churches were modernist, and born-again Christians seemed almost impossible to find. I was studying the Word one night and meditating on the loneliness of my situation. And I came in my reading to John chapter 20 and the words, So send I you. And because of my physical disability, I knew that I could never go to the overseas mission field. And I realized that this place was where he had sent me. It seemed natural to me to put my thoughts into verse. So send I you to labor unrewarded, to serve unpaid, unloved, unsought, unknown, to bear rebuke, to suffer shame and scoffing, so send I you to toil for me alone. So send I you to bind the bruised and broken, or wandering souls to work, to weep, to wake. Just break off there, tell you, um, something just pops into my, my mind, which I think is pertinent. Some years ago, I mean, Rita and I were involved in Christian camp work for uh, over, well over 40, 40 years, I've spoken at well over 100, probably uh, uh, many, many more than 100 camps uh, uh, over those years. In fact, I have, a, I have a booking in my diary for August 2020 for a youth camp. I, when, I, when I took the booking, I said to the person who asked me, I said, you do realize how old I'll be in 2020? I said, never mind, we'll, we'll, we'll still book you. And uh, I was speaking to one of the young men who was one of our tent leaders years ago. This was proper camping for, you know, not the softy stuff that people do now. And um, I was speaking to one of our tent leaders. He was very, very distressed after a prayer meeting. I said, Richard, what's the matter? He said, I've, it's nearly the end of the week. I've not led any of the campers in my tent to Christ. And then he broke down and he wept about it. And we prayed together. And after he'd wept, I said, Richard, the Lord is going to give you souls. He that goes forth bearing precious seed, weeping, the same shall come home rejoicing with seed with him, with the harvest with him. And, you know, by the end of the week, he'd led every lad in his camp to Christ. When a young Salvationist Army officer was having a difficult time in his particular corps and in his district, he sent a telegram to General Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, and said, I'm just not seeing anybody saved. And Booth sent two words back, try tears, try tears. So send I you to work, to weep, to wake, to bear the burden of a world grown weary, so send I you to suffer for my sake. So send I you to hearts made hard by hatred, to eyes made blind because they will not see, to spend though it be blood, to spend and spare not. So send I you to taste of Calvary. 
I'll tell you quickly about um, a man who for many years was my boss. I mean, I'm one of those uh, counties evangelists who've joked with Martin about him being my boss. Believe me, he, he wisely would refuse to accept the nomination. No one would want to be my boss. But um, I had a boss when I started in full-time ministry 45, 46 years ago with the Birmingham City Mission. Um, we've not been with counties quite as long as Stephen and Jean Gillam, who were with us earlier. We, Rita and I joined counties 41 years ago, and I'm not yet, despite whatever you might cruelly think, I'm not yet designated as one of the senior evangelists, although the day is not far off. And, uh, but when I started with the Birmingham City Mission, I had a boss, and he is now 89 years of age and very, very frail, but indomitable in his spirit outwardly wasting away, inwardly being renewed every day. And it's my joy to visit him at least, at least once a, a month. And he was talking to me when I was last with him. He said he'd been going to the senior citizens lunch club at his church. And he, he moves himself from table to table so he can talk to the maximum number of people. And he said, I was sitting opposite a lady and uh, uh, I said to her, do you come to this church or is it just to the lunch club? She said, I don't come to church at all. He said, would you like to? She said, you know, I think I might. He said, do you mind me asking, but do you know the Lord as your saviour? Have you ever asked Jesus to come into your life and be your saviour? She said, you know, I, I haven't. So Edwin Orton, that's his name, said, would you like to do that? She said, I would. He said, shall we do it now? All right. He led her to Christ at the table at the lunch club. See? Two weeks later, he saw her again. She gave him a big thumbs up from across the room. He went over to her. He said, have you told anybody that you became a Christian two weeks ago? No, no, she said. Do you think I ought to? He said, yes, it would help you if you did. Well, I will then. He said, would you like, he said, I've got a little bit of pull here because he'd founded the church. He said, would you like to tell these people here? All right. So he called proceedings to a halt and she gave her testimony. Do you see, because Edwin, 89 years old, realizes he's been sent. And even though he's retired from city mission and he's not planting churches and he's not preaching anymore, he's been sent. Right where he is is where God has sent him. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Let's pray. Father, please always remind us when our spirits flag, when our bodies are tired, when our morale is low. Lord, we want that sense of being people charged with a mission. To us, you have entrusted the ministry and the message of reconciliation. So, Lord, again, we commit ourselves to go where you send and to say what you give us and to be the people that we need to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, a very rare and um, wonderful thing has happened today. Martin has asked me if I'd say a few words on behalf of counties. <laughs> He's now quaking at what I might say on behalf of counties. What I want to say, and my colleagues with me, including Martin, of course, is a huge thank you to the folk here at Great Parts Chapel for your hospitality, for that wonderful food. One of the ladies I was at the counter there getting a, a cream scone and eating it while simultaneously bemoaning the number of calories I was taking on. And, and uh, 
She said, oh, we do do good food here. Well, I think we can all affirm that, can't we? That's been very, very good indeed. So thank you for your lovely hospitality. Those of you who've come from Great Parks and from other places, we know you had a choice today, and thank you for choosing to come here. We hope it's been an inspirational experience for you. And do continue to pray for us, won't you? Stephen and Jean and Rita and myself, Martin and Rachel and Beverly and, and others here, and Bert, we've been hearing so much about Bible educational services. Do pray for all the counties evangelists. Uh, it's, it's an incredibly diverse organization now. I mean, when I joined counties, I was the last counties evangelist, last one to join counties, who was given a brand new marquee and 200 seats just, just as a matter of course. That's what happened back then, 41 years, years ago. Still got that marquee, by the way. Happy to get it out sometime. Uh, uh, but um, it's, it's a very different animal now. It really is. People are pursuing a whole range of diverse ministries but all for the glory of god and for the gospel's sake so bless you for your fellowship today we appreciate it enormously thank you